Hello, player one. Welcome to the Gaming History Club. My name is Gabby. Hello, and I'm JP. In today's episode, we enter a secret code to unlock another one of gaming's long-lasting phenomenons, cheating. cheating exactly? In video games, the answer isn't always easy compared to cheating in, let's say, sports. There are some that consider completing a game with any type of help whatsoever to be cheating, including the use of strategy guides or online tutorials. Basically, using anything other than your own intelligence and skills to beat the game. Some player ones run a very tight ship, huh? I know, right? I mean, for someone who appreciates online tutorials, I actually feel like this is a little bit you can just imagine, too tight. Yeah. You can just imagine a grumpy old man telling the kid off a six-year-old for looking up a strategy guide how to play Mario. You are cheating, son. I know. <laughs> you are no son of mine. Back in my day, we didn't have the internet to consult for advice. But apparently they had Nintendo Power or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which the grumpy old man has to pay for. Oh my god. But yes, others draw the line at either the game developer's intent. Did they purposefully leave codes in the game for the player? Or did the developers accidentally leave code in the game to help them during testing? Yeah, we'll delve into that a little bit further along, won't we? That's true. But what about exploiting a game's mechanic in a way that the developer didn't intend? We're not talking about codes that was left inside the game on purpose or not, but more about a player breaks the game's mechanics. For example, jumping against the wall at a specific angle to get through it, or saving and loading a game during a fall that allows the player to land without dying. That's right, yeah. But exploits can be much more related to the gameplay as well. I mean, these are a little bit maybe techy or like geometry related examples. It can be really normal gameplay too, right? I think Witcher, for example, one of mm -hmm. them, you can go to a field of cows at a low level, kill all of them, collect some money, go to sleep for two hours, go back, kill And then them, you can do it again. And you, you can just do that over and over again. And yeah. it's completely part of the game. It was set up to be that way, but people considered it exploiting because you get money way too quickly. But... Is it really? I mean, where do you draw the line here? Exactly. And that's what we want to delve into, right? Another thing as well is who is the player cheating against? Regardless of what method they're using, is cheating in a single player game really cheating? Can you cheat against yourself? Can you cheat against yourself? Yeah. Mm. Or is it only cheating when you gain unfair advantage against other players, basically? So... Yeah, where do we draw the line again, JP? Well, Wikipedia defines cheating in video games as a player using various methods to create an advantage beyond normal gameplay. But we at Gaming History Club are taking an executive decision to group and define what we consider cheating in games into different categories with our own stamp of approval, whether or not you should feel guilty about it. Well, let's take a look at some of the different types of cheating that you can find in video games. Let's start off with the one that probably most people are the most familiar with. Cheat codes. 
whether left in the game on purpose for the aid or entertainment of the player or used for the developer to test the games and forgot to remove the code, these are usually a combination of buttons, words on a keyboard or settings unlocked during regular gameplay that will give the player an advantage, such as infinite lives for example, or purely fun easter eggs such as uh, yeah, making everyone's heads massive, the big head cheats. These codes are rarely present outside of single-player games, since the game developers are very much aware that you can't just provide cheat codes to multiplayer experiences. Imagine if a Mario Kart all of a sudden someone busts out a secret combination of buttons that gives them infinite red shells. Here at Gaming History Club we suggest you shouldn't use cheat codes such as these in single player games if you are really insistent on fully immersing yourself in the story and the gameplay, especially when you're starting out. If you're really looking forward to a game, you finally get to play it, don't immediately go into like using some cheats to have fun. Leave that for a little bit later in the game. Once you start to get a little bit bored, maybe even completed the game, mm -hmm. you can use cheats then to really make it feel fresh again and have, you know, another layer of fun. But I wouldn't use cheats straight away just because it might break that immersion in the long run for you. But you can definitely cheat in single player games. You cannot cheat against yourself. You can just go for it. That's my own personal opinion. Now let's talk a little bit about bugs and exploits. So, bugs. They are unexpected results from a game's programming that can lead to crashes, glitches, or making you unable to progress in the game. Yeah, although sometimes, you know, bugs have actually been discovered though and kept inside of games because it turned out it made the gameplay better. So we already mentioned previously Pong and Space Invaders, how some of the bugs were kept inside of those games. If you want to know more about that, you're going to have to listen to those episodes. And also they have inspired entire game mechanics before during development phases of the game. So I think I remember GTA 1, the car chasing. So they accidentally made the car that the player is inside of the target for the cops. So what would end up happening is that even if they fully stopped you, they keep trying to just ram into you. And that's how that was developed. It was actually a bug at first, but they kept inside the game. Also, the term book, by the way, comes from back in the day when you'd have real books trapped inside of the computing components. If you ever wondered why it's called a book, yeah, it's totally to do with the insects. Like literal book. <laughs> yeah, it, literal books messing up your gaming. So now let's talk about exploits. Exploits are usage of books in a way that the developer did not foresee and will give you an advantage. This can take many different forms, such as the wall clipping example we talked about earlier, where you can literally walk through walls in games to access different areas that you probably wouldn't find in normal gameplay. Sometimes exploits are more readily found and available as part of the normal gameplay, such as bunny hopping originating in the game Quake from 1996, where continuous jumping will increase your speed with every jump. The exploit was well known to the developers and was decided to be kept intact for future sequels and games using the same engine, as this is not something that's so easy to be done by players to use, and it requires some level of skills actually to be able to use bunny hopping in the first place. The complete opposite thing of a skilled exploit like bunny hopping, which becomes very much a beloved feature in many multiplayer games eventually, is cheesing. Cheesing is actually a word that I wasn't familiar with before doing research into this episode. Me and my friends, we called it something else, but I don't think I can say it on this podcast what we called it. Oh no. Yeah. But the complete opposite of something skillful exploiting like bunny hopping is actually called cheesing. 
So cheesing is a term used to refer to anything cheap, unfair, something that is easy to do, does a lot of damage, but requires almost no skill at all to do. The term became popular in video games during Street Fighter 2 to describe techniques that would cause a player to basically be stuck on one side of the screen and not being able to move or do a counterattack, but were easy to pull off. A popular combo was with Ken using fireball-fireball-dragon punch combination. A good example as well outside of video games is, if you're familiar with chess, is the fool's mate, where you can checkmate someone in just two moves. I would say that cheesing is probably okay in strictly competitive gameplay, so not with your friends. Okay, strictly, you know, online or in a tournament, that kind of thing, unless there's rules against the cheesing. Just because if it's part of the game's mechanics, it would be kind of silly not to use any type of method available to you through standard gameplay, right? And let's face it, if you honor yourself to be very skilled at a certain game, then you're going to be able to avoid these cheesing methods, as a matter of fact. I'd say if you're playing with a close friend, perhaps teach them how to use the cheesing themselves and how to avoid it, rather than ruining your friendship. There are some online-specific exploits which are frowned upon, uh, such as exploiting lag or disconnecting from online games. Some games aren't configured well to deal with lag at all, and a player can abuse that in order to gain an advantage over the other players. A player that is lagging, especially on purpose, could appear to be stationary to other gamers in a first-person shooter, for example, when in fact he's actually moving and so if you're aiming at his character on your screen, it wouldn't actually hit him because he's actually moving. He just looks like he's stuck because he's fake lagging. It's really annoying. It's hard to kind of describe, but you get a sense of what's actually going on in the game when you see it happen a few times. So what else do we have? We've got bots. Bots is computer software that replace a human that interacts with the game. So these are commonly found in games where there's a large amount of repetitive tasks especially in MMORPGs, where you've got a lot of mining, for example, where you're just clicking on something, walking back somewhere, leaving it in the bank, walking back, clicking on the rock ore again, doing more mining. It's like this needless task, but hey, if you can go to sleep for eight hours and the bot does it for you, and then the next morning you wake up and you're like so much richer. Well, yeah, this is kind of the classy use of bots, I think. What else do we have? Modifying game data. So modifying game data is a biggie that we will be talking a little bit more about in depth as well. But just to put it on the table for now, modifying game data can be achieved by means of hardware and software to directly change the data of games by locating specific memory addresses within the game. For example, the value of a player's number of lives, the ammunition, and you can then change or even freeze those values as you please. Editing of memory via an external software program, they're known as trainers, which often came with games that were cracked for piracy in the 80s and 90s, but can be downloaded separately in the modern day. Although not common anymore, cheat cartridges were also extremely popular during the 80s and 90s. These hardware cartridges, and later also CDs, could be inserted into the console, and you'd have a list of cheats available to you to select for certain games. They would work by changing the game's data before you would start the actual game itself. In a very similar way, you can also edit your save game files in order to change game data within the save files. But this isn't really super common anymore because of all the utilities and tools available, like the trainers, for example, that will do this for you whilst the game is running. So using external software to modify the game is the most common way of online cheating. 
There are many types of cheats that can be applied to give the cheater unfair advantages, such as seeing enemy players through walls, seeing other players' stats like their health, their equipped weapon, or how much ammunition do they have, or even aimbots, which in extreme cases can result in a guaranteed kill whenever a shot is fired while you're not even aiming to your enemy. Hardware can also be used to cheat, however, to provide aim assistance. Anti-cheating methods for online play are becoming more sophisticated, but still lag behind the innovation of cheating in games. The old moniker, if it can be hacked, it will be hacked, definitely applies here. Game companies are becoming increasingly successful in suing individuals and groups that either cheat in online games or make their cheating tools available to purchase. Though in order to stay in favor, game companies focus on groups that sell cheats as opposed to cheating players. With the examples you listed, by the way, I remember a time when my friend did this to me where he wasn't cheating to gain an advantage. He was putting me at a disadvantage. He was actually making me turn in circles the entire time. Oh, so I no. couldn't like aim properly. I could still walk around. But yeah, that was pretty funny. He didn't tell me how to turn it off, though. There's a reason he's not my friend anymore. <laughs> See, player one, friendship's always in the line when you're cheating against your friends. Always on the line. Okay, so speaking of companies who sue people who are cheating. Should we give some quick stats and facts around yes. this? What's going on these days here? One cheat seller sued by game developer Bungie still sells cheats for dozens of games, including an aimbot for Call of Duty that can be used for $13 per day, or another one for Valorant at $85 per month. Bungie estimated in one suit that it spends roughly around 1.2 million per year on its anti-cheating measures, and that's not including legal costs. In June 2022, Bungie won a 13.5 million settlement against a cheat maker, who in turn helped unmask others Bungie continues to pursue. The specific laws game developers cite to sue are usually copyright infringement and breaking the end-user license agreement. Some countries, such as South Korea and China, where gaming is big business, from making games to competitive esports, cheats could be punished with up to five years in jail or fines in excess of $40,000. Yeah, once you put money into the equation, games aren't all fun and games anymore, it seems, huh? Exactly, it's becoming very serious, it seems like. So now that we're a little bit on track about what the different types of cheating are, from single-player cheating, multiplayer cheating, cheat codes, exploits, bugs, bots, modifying game data, let's talk a little bit about the history finally now. Let's see where all of this came from. Cheat codes actually originated from game developers using codes to help them when they were making their games, when they playtested them. If you imagine you're a game developer, you're making 10 levels now. You're not going to play for the entire game until you get to level 10 just to make sure that the mechanics in level 10 work. You're going to set yourself a little code up so you can actually just start level 10 immediately. Because it's somewhat hard to distinguish between a cheat code and a developer tool, the first cheat code can be a little bit hard to pinpoint. But there's a game that we found was often cited as having one of the first examples of a cheat code, and that is Manic Miner, a platform game written for the ZX Spectrum. By Matthew Smith. The game's from 1983. It's a game that he wrote in only eight weeks, and it was the first ZX Spectrum title within game music, by the way, guys. 
If the player typed 6031769, which is a number based on Matthew Smith's driving license, he says there's an error in it and it's twisted around a bit. But I don't think so. I think that's his actual driving license number. <laughs> and he just says that to throw people off because why use your driving license number if you're going to change it anyway? You he's know what bluffing. I mean? He's, he's bluffing. He's bluffing. This is definitely his driving license number. Anyway, so if the player types in that number, they would enable the cheat mode, which allowed the player to travel between different levels. And a boot would appear next to where your remaining lives are displayed to confirm that cheat mode is enabled. Another example is Colossal Cave Adventure, a game that we've been talking about in one of our previous episodes about point-and-click adventure games. In this game, it famously featured a word command, Xizzy, to allow players to skip large sections of the game as well. Yeah, because to be fair, if you're playing Colossal Cave Adventure, because the map is so big and it's a text-based adventure game, you can't really see where you are. You need that help a little bit to come back to a familiar place. So this XYZZY code will definitely help players to come back to a more familiar area of the games. Yeah, that's right. I think you, might, uh, you had to collect certain items, didn't you? And there was a certain space where you can leave them. And I think the code helps you get back to that area. You can, can actually drop off the leave items. the items in any room. So you use ah, the items as yeah. like identifier of like which room it is. Like breadcrumbs. Yes, like breadcrumbs, exactly. Colossal Cave Adventure, <laughs> honestly, what a game. What a great game. I know. So we found an interview with Steve Pickford, who is one of the developers for Solar Jetman, Plock and Equinox, back from 2014, where he tells Red Bull a little bit about the history of cheating. So he also says, a lot of the time, they were put in for testing. We tended to have fairly simple user interfaces in games back in the 8-bit days. No pages of menu screens where we could add a cheat list. So a cheat code on the front end was often used as a way for testers to get to different parts of the game quickly or try out different features. Some were left in release versions by accident. Enabling developers to effectively jump to any point in the game also saved countless of hours of work during testing and debugging. Sonic the Hedgehog is a great example of this. They have a level select cheat code, which was hold A, press up, down, left, right, and once you hear that chime, hit start. And as Pickford mentioned, feature select cheats like Mortal Kombat's ABACABB code served as the game's blood and gore toggle. Yes, in Mortal Kombat, Sega Genesis version, the opening screen where players could enter the code to unlock gore and blood in the game will read... The word code has many different definitions. The Shaolin Martial Arts Tournament is governed by a system of rules of conduct, an ethical code. The combatants respect each other as warriors, no matter what degree of hatred they have for one another. A code of honor. Another type of code could be defined as an arbitrary system of symbols or letters for transmitting messages. A secret code. Mortal Kombat adheres to many codes, but does it contain one? Mortal Kombat! <laughs> but does it contain one? I love that. I absolutely so love does that. does it? <laughs> I absolutely love that. Oh, it sends a shiver down your spine. These codes often held personal meaning for their developers as well. ABACABB is actually a nod to Genesis, the Phil Collins-fronted British rock band that shares the same name as the Sega system. 
Steve Pickford also said, a cheat code can also be useful for your resume. We did a nice one in Ken Griffey Presents Major League Baseball on the SNES. He says, we had a code to cut straight from the title screen to the end of the game credits sequence, which was not only a nice sequence, but also a nice way for all of us on the development team to be able to instantly prove we worked on the game, back when game credit was quite rare. The code was Bad Bubba. This came from Bubba, being the childhood nickname of the producer and designer of the game. So, of course, the most famous cheat code of all time is the well-known Konami code. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, and then the start button. It was created by Kazuhisa Hashimoto. Hashimoto created the code when he was in charge of taking the arcade version of the spacecraft shooting game Gradius, and he needed to convert it for the Nintendo console in 1986 to help him get through the levels of the game during debugging and testing. He created the code to provide himself with power-ups to start the game with, but forgot to remove the code for the game's release. Hashimoto said in a 2003 interview, I hadn't played that much and obviously couldn't beat it myself, so I put in the Konami code. Because I was the one who was going to be using it, I made sure it was easy to remember. But anyway, players found it and shared the code through word of mouth. The code was used in more games and largely popularized in the game Contra, a notoriously difficult game that gave the player three lives at the start of the game. But by using the Konami code, the player would get 30 lives instead, and the code even worked on the arcade version of it. The Konami code has been used in more than 100 games, such as Castlevania and Mortal Kombat 3, and even games not made by Konami. The code is often referenced or used as easter eggs outside video games as well. For example, in the movie Wreck-It Ralph, it's used as a password. Using it on some websites can trigger games or other fun things. And if you try to tell the code to Amazon Alexa, it will cause Alexa to say Super Alexa mode activated. Starting reactors online. Enabling advanced systems online. Racing dongers error. Dongers missing. Aborting. We tried this out on Siri and Google as well. They also say stupid things when you say up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA to them. Pretty funny. That's true. Siri told me I was a nerd. Yeah, sometimes cheater and then other times nerd, yeah. Hashimoto, the creator of the Konami card, has sadly passed away in 2020. Game developers started to implement cheat codes on purpose as a fun, novel way to provide even more fun to the experience. Doom featured a very popular cheat, another difficult game. It had a cheat for infinite health and wall clipping, providing the players with a unique way to experience the game completely overpowered. GoldenEye made unlockable cheats popular. Similar to achievements today, players were rewarded for completing specific tasks such as completing certain levels on a specific difficulty or finding all collectibles with cheats to unlock, including bonus levels, but also silly fun stuff like Big Head Mode, for example. GTA is a franchise with great use of cheat codes too, from spawning fighter jets right in front of the players to flying cars and weapon sets. Cheating in games was not only confined to developers' accidental or left-on-purpose cheat codes, though. 
Tech-savvy gamers used so-called peek and poke commands in the early 8-bit computer era to alter games' codes before loading the game or during gameplay. The P command was used to find the relevant memory address associated with a game's value, such as the number of lives, and poke was used to execute a command to change that value. If done correctly, players can boost certain stats and scores. But of course, this was a very manual scattergun approach, you might say, so there wasn't any easy way to tell what you were messing with. So players were just as likely to beef up the enemies rather than themselves. In order to find these so-called pokes, as they became known, a hacker had to interpret the machine code and locate the critical point where the number of lives is decreased, impacts are detected, that kind of thing. Sometimes the term poke was used with this specific meaning in mind as well, so you're trying to find the appropriate command to execute. As players began to experiment, they would often share their findings with others, developing a new form of cheats organically. Some of the popular computers that allowed these pokes included the Commodore 64, Amstrad CPC, and what we already mentioned before, the ZX Spectrum. So let's take an example. For instance, with poke 47196,201 in Night Law for the ZX Spectrum, immunity is achieved. Another example is using poke 755,4 on an Atari 8-bit system. This would make the graphics card invert all of the on-screen text. So you can see the wide range of things you can actually do by poking the machines. Magazines such as Crash regularly featured lists of such poke instructions for games, and cheating in this way became a culture in its own right. Sometimes poke even helped games that were released broken to become playable. Let's take Jet Set Willy from 1984 as an example. This was a sequel to the earlier mentioned Manic Miner that was written by Matthew Smith, who left one of the first cheat codes in a game. The game was released with a book that was known as the Attic Book, which caused the game over screen when entering a certain area of the game. Initially, the developer's software projects claimed that, oh, this was just a part of the game to make it more challenging. In general, they were quite embarrassed though because they actually had a competition for whoever could complete the game first and sent them a picture of the ending screen. A duo of two players, Ross Holman and Cameron Ells, found that it was actually a book though causing the game over screen and it wasn't just a part of the game that Software Projects was claiming it was. They fixed it using poke codes and they sent a picture to Software Projects along with a set of book fixes and they ended up winning the competition this way. And they hired Cameron Ells to help them port Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy to the MSX home console as well. Cool! A natural evolution of these poll codes is probably the console that can be brought up when pressing the backtick key, which is the key directly underneath the escape key. This is where the game's settings and variables can be edited on computer games. These serve mostly useful functions for game developers, so they can read warning logs and error messages and things relating to the game's program execution, while not having to leave the game or look at the code on another screen. But it also provides the player with the opportunity to have some fun with the game's settings, of course. Many PC games incorporate this. A popular classic style is a box that scrolls down from the top of the screen. That was made popular by Quake, 1996. Bunny hopping, just saying. And PC games today still make use of this very much. Even the very latest release of Starfield, you can still bring up the console and blow people up to like 100 times the size that they're supposed to be. Home consoles didn't lend themselves to be easily manipulated. 
due to the close nature of the console architecture and limited possibilities for input with a controller. But the games weren't confined to the cheat codes that were left in the game. Crafty individuals created cheat cartridges that could be attached to the game cartridges and modified the game data. Popular examples are Game Genie, Action Replay, and Game Shark, where players would insert codes in the menu that appears on screen before the game starts. The codes were provided to them in the cheat cartridge manual and magazine subscriptions to alter the games. They didn't only include the classic cheats such as Infinite Lives, Ammo, etc. Often they include codes to make certain games harder or unlock resources in the game that were scrapped from the finished game but were still hidden inside the codes. The manufacturers of these cheat cartridges had a lot of dedication too because these codes didn't come out of nowhere, they weren't found by a program. Someone had to literally look into the game's code, write down that code and then make it available for the consumer of those cheat cartridges to use. And they had thousands and thousands of cheat codes. Cheating became a beloved facet of gaming culture, and rightfully so. They enhanced the experience of playing a game and supported less skilled players to complete their game when struggling. Sometimes they even made games that were impossible to complete due to bugs to be able to be completed. Various magazines published articles about cheating and cheat codes. Famously, Nintendo Power, in a time before the internet was available in everyone's pockets, if you wanted the newest cheat codes, your best bet was to subscribe to a magazine. There was even a TV show called Cheat that ran from 2002 until 2009 dedicated to cheating. Cheat codes have vastly declined since the late 2000s and early 2010s though. The reasons for this are mainly due to the internet-connected nature of modern games. Players can now make their gaming passion a career in the form of esports. For this reason, game developers are expected to have strong measures in place to restrict exploits and cheat codes. Even in modern single-player games though, there are reasons to not include cheats. Achievements became popular during the Xbox 360 and PS3 era, also known as trophies on the PlayStation, which is another incentive not to cheat even when the developers include cheat codes in their games, it will disable the achievements that you can get from the game if you enable them. Many games also include player-hated microtransactions and loot boxes, which is yet another reason for game developers to ensure no cheating can be done, as this would eat into their profits. Cheating will always be a part of gaming culture, for the right reasons, and although the golden days of cheating with cheat codes and discovering new ones in magazines are over, the modding community is as strong as ever, filling that urge for many players to have fun and tinker with their favourite games beyond standard gameplay. And of course, speedrunners are kings of exploits, and watching them destroy some of the game mechanics that developers try so hard to keep consistent and dependable is incredibly fun. Cheating online and doing esports tournaments is another kettle of fish that we would rather dedicate its own episode to. So stay tuned for exciting future episodes of Gaming History Club. We hope you enjoyed this episode, we've discovered cheats accidentally left behind by developers and how players found ways to cheat anyway. New episodes of Gaming History Club are released every second Wednesday, so make sure you subscribe and follow us on our social media. Say hi to us by visiting our website, gaminghistory.club, and let us know what topics you'd like to hear, or just share your favorite video game stories with us. So make sure you pack lightly when we come back in two weeks, player one.